Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with two people who I respect and am privileged to call friends. Marcy and Roger Oliver have a long history of serving in Mexico as missionaries and have just recently returned to the U.S. Now, people are familiar with sending missionaries off to assignments, offering their prayers and providing financial support. But rarely do we get to hear from people on the other side of their missionary service. And that is what I want to talk with you both today. So Marcy and Roger, thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. It's a pleasure. For asking. Rather than do things in sequence, I'm one of those people who oftentimes will get a book and read the last chapter and then go back and read it. Rather than asking you to talk about how you came to be missionaries, I guess I'd want to start with the question, in looking back, did things turn out the way you thought they would? Um, I'm not. We were talking about that. We thought in our case, we didn't really have so many expectations. We were looking for where the Lord could use us. We had before I got in the army, I thought I was going to be a missionary to Latin America, probably Central America. So we were looking for a place that wasn't so far from our parents and our children at the same time had a had a need but there was a developed church in Mexico so we came to serve them it wasn't like we're starting from scratch in a place in a remote place with the head had never heard the gospel and uh, what we thought we were going to do is help them develop a mission organization as to deploy missionaries to other countries that Americans couldn't go to so that's where we started. But as uh, it's been said, life is what happens when you're planning something else. So one thing led to another. We were kind of used to that and expecting you go someplace and you begin to work and you find your place by actually working. And that's how all of this developed over the last 20, uh, 20, 20 some years. You mentioned before you went into the army. Mm-hmm. So Marcy, you were an army wife before yeah. you were a missionary. Did being an army wife prepare you to be a missionary? Oh, very much so. I do have to say, though, that even as a kid, I always felt that as believers and followers of Christ, we needed to always share the gospel, be a missionary, represent Christ to your friends. And I didn't always live it, but but yes, definitely in the army, it did prepare a lot for the missionary life, just in the service of others, because that's what you do as an army wife. You serve the other people, the other families, the other wives. You help with their their children. It was a community that we had to be a part of, and we didn't, you know, live together, but we had this community where we did have to share a lot of different things. Husbands being gone, what do you do when they're gone? How do you help each other? I see. I see. I think when I asked Marcy to marry me, I was very clear that I was going to be a missionary to Latin America. Then the army got me. And uh, that was 22 years of service. But it's curious that uh, how God 
orders your steps. We make our plans. At one time, I wanted to be in the Green Beret, the Special Forces, and go to Germany to Bad Dolz and learn how to ski. And I ended up being sent to language school to learn Spanish and spent four years in Panama. And then I thought, well, if I'm getting close to being making 20 years, we might as well stay and finish. And I'm going to have to do assignment by myself. And every place that an infantryman goes is to Korea. So I put in for Korea, ended up in, in, in Honduras for three years. <laughs> so you see how God orders your steps that the Department of the Army was not uh, only thought they were in charge of my personnel file, but they, they taught me Spanish and God gave me assignments so that by the time we went to Mexico, our level of Spanish was equivalent or better than many missionaries who had been there for years. All right. So you both talk about separately because you didn't grow up in the same place. Talked about this sense that you were going to be missionaries. Marcy, mm-hmm. I'll start with you. What was that? Was it that you heard missionaries come to your church and talk? Did you read biographies? What was the impetus that made you feel this is in your future? Kind of all of the above. I think one of the significant things was attending uh, a Christian camp every summer. And there was always a focus on going out and serving God and being a missionary. And at one point, I thought I'd go to Australia and be a missionary to the Aborigines. But I think it was all of the above. We had missionaries in our house, in our church, and talked about it. And I just always felt, even with my little friends, I would invite them to church and their moms would not let them go with me, especially one girl. She said, no, I can never go to church with you, Marcy. And I just said, well, you don't have to go to church with me to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. And 35 years later, she's a mom with little kids. And she told me that whenever I tell my testimony, I say little Marcy Crable told me that I didn't have to go to church with her to believe in Jesus. And that she says, that's her testimony. So it's, it was always a very important part of my life, being a Christian and doing, doing my part as I could. So a lot of times people think missionaries has to be faraway places. You just showed that your friend who wasn't all that far away from where you were was somebody that your missionary zeal or your missionary interest didn't wait to have to be in a faraway place with native people. How about you, Roger? When did you get the idea that missionary work was in your future? My parents hosted missionaries and supported them actively. Uh, we had them in our homes. I remember an old Dr. Taylor, gray-haired man, who had served in China in the 20s and had all kinds of adventure stories to tell. And then uh, probably one of the most significant once was uh, David, Crane. David Crane, who was who grew up as a missionary kid in China. And then when he, the bamboo curtain fell, he went to uh, Trinidad and Tobago, was a missionary for years there with the Evangelical Free Church. And then in the last 10 years of his 40 year career as a missionary, he spent back in Singapore opening churches that his father had built that the Chinese communists had turned into warehouses and that was my father's favorite project was to send him money to help him reopen these churches. Those kinds of people and their character, they weren't the only ones that we had in our house. But that's what, you know, at first you hear them speak and there's this videos or they bring their slides and they end up with the 
you know, the emotional appeal and you say, okay, I'll pray for missionaries. And then later on, you're a kid, you know, just a kid in church. Okay, I'll give to missions. And I want to be a cowboy. And I was studying <laughs> agriculture, agriculture at Cal Poly in Pomona. I said, okay, I'll be an agriculture missionary. And uh, the only thing I've ever done with my degree is dig holes and pick up after the dog. <laughs> well, who says uh, that a know, college I, degree doesn't help you? It did. But anyway, so after that, I just said, yeah, I've, I've got to do this. And and uh, because of the influence of several men in our that I had had mentored me as pastors, I wanted to go to Dallas Seminary. And I had that goal in my mind for years. And after I retired from the Army, that's what we did. We just, you know, that was always in my mind. And, and when I was ordained, uh, one of my commanders, uh, Lieutenant Colonel R.J. Wooten, it was uh, Presbyterian, by the way came to the ordination, and he remembered that he tried to dis- encourage me to make a profession out of the military, but he remembers that I said, no, I'm going to be a missionary someday. So, well, I ended up spending 22 years in the Army, and, but that freed us up to do many things as missionaries that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So, you see, God puts a, that sort of a seed of an idea in your mind, and you may get there by a circuitous route, and you may not do exactly what you think you were going to do, or you weren't even sure you were going to do. I just want to be there to preach the gospel and do whatever I could to help grow the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's kind of where we ended up. And on the way, on the way, of course, our perception, our, we, we became reformed in our theology, and that changed mm-hmm. our whole approach to what we were doing. And I'd say the last 10, 12, 20. 10, 12 years have been the most fruitful uh, and that is when we started the Learning Center, and that's still going, and we're still working with them from a distance. So the question, do missionaries ever truly retire? It sounds to me that long before you had the designation of missionary, both of you were missionaries, you then officially got the title at some point, and it doesn't seem to me that either one of you is going to give it up anytime soon. no. We're looking for ways in where we actually live in Sheboygan, Wisconsin right now to uh, we've experimented with making tamales, mole, tamales and mole, because <laughs> 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 there are tamales there, but nobody makes them with the mole like Puebla. So the, the idea is to sell them at the market, the market. and make contact, more contact with the Mexican community. Lots of Mexicans there. So, yeah. And, uh, anyway, so there if we get the, the Lord willing it gives us the energy but we're also working on translation and uh and a website and all those other kinds of things that keep us busy plus i love to maintain my presence in the school teaching an observation if you will both of you uh describe growing up with exposure to missionaries Mm -hmm. in my case you know, I thought medicine was going to be in my future because my father was a doctor, my mother was quite ill, and I spent a lot of time visiting her in hospitals. That's not what God ended up for me. But it's interesting today, a lot of young people want to be movie stars or rock stars or whatever. So there's something to be said for who children are exposed to, to give them an inspiration, or at least to see a seed sprout. We'll, we'll acknowledge that God puts the seed there, but the exposure yeah. to quality people doing important work, great commission work is important, don't you think? Yes, I, I think uh, I kind of concluded from my own personal experience that I suppose for girls too, but for boys, 
12, 13, 14 years old are, are, are the key, are key times. We had a pastor, an assistant pastor in our church in Anaheim who was a graduate of Dallas Seminary. And he took a bunch of us boys about that age and he had this class on Saturdays. He told me about it later that he didn't know what else to call it, but uh, Bible study methods and sermon preparation. And he would take us around. He did 18, 20 adult Bible studies every week and he would take us to those. And, and we would give our testimonies. I played violin for people to sing and that sort of thing. So, and, and I would say, uh, probably 75% of us of that group of boys ended up doing something as missionary or a pastor or a professor at a seminary, something like that. And so I that see. was the formative thing that's, uh, he took an active, uh, role in that, offered it to us and those of us that went. God used it to have a very powerful influence in our lives. That's main Lauren Fisher was his name. And he's the main reason why I always wanted to go to Dallas seminary. I see. Yeah. Well, you went to Dallas seminary, but in the preceding, in the succeeding years, you ended up expanding your theological views on things. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. What would you say Marcy was among the most satisfying experiences or results of you being involved in missions in Mexico? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Institutes of Biblical Law that the gals have been doing with me in Spanish for the last, I think, four years. And we have the last two sections to finish in the church law. That's probably, it's been the hardest because of the language I don't always understand exactly what they're saying, but they they understand it. And uh, we do have great conversations. That's probably been the most. The other one I would say is a sweet little gal who was my neighbor and she would come. She had twins. They are now 17 and she had was not a very good life. And But we started these little studies, just telling Bible stories in the house around mm-hmm. the neighbors, just invited whoever wanted to come. Uh, we would just tell tell the stories. And she said, well, we'll come, but I don't want to change my religion. And I said, I'm not asking you to change your religion. All I want, we're just going to tell Bible stories. You you read the Bible sometimes or the priest reads the Bible. So that's what we'll do. So she came and the kids came and we just kept telling the stories, telling the stories. And she says, well, I'm not going to change my religion. I go, Christy, that's fine. Don't. Uh, and I asked her, I says, how often do you go to mass? Oh, when somebody dies, somebody gets married, uh, maybe on special feast days. And I go, well, if you want to, we're going to have a church in our house. Why don't you just, you know, come to church with us? She finally realized that when I told her that her children sin, she was shocked. The Bible tells us that our children sin, that they are sinners, that they are sinners sinners and they're born sinners. I go, yes. And I showed her the scriptures and we went through it and she said, wow. And eventually she became a very strong believer. And her husband just passed away in December from a long cancer illness that she had. But her Mm -hmm. faith was so strong that knowing that in the last maybe eight months, of her husband's suffering that she saw in him put his faith in Christ. Wow. And the kids too are are stronger in their faith. 
those are the two. The now, they were our neighbors across the street when we lived in the kind of in the country. Uh, she never really came right out and told me I'm, I am now a believer. She brought some people that she met on the street in the little town there to the house to introduce me to them, that they were Christians. And she said the way she said it indirectly, very Mexican. She <laughs> says, they said that they told me that they could tell I was a Christian by my demeanor, my way of acting. So that was her <laughs> indirect way of saying, I am now a believer in Jesus. So a couple of things I want to fill in for our listeners. When Marcy talks about taking people through, taking women through the Institutes of Biblical Law, a good supporter of Chalcedon funded the translation of Institutes into Spanish. And it's interesting to me to see how many people God uses to bring about the very important results that you're talking about. I think too often people think, well, how many people, thousands of people, tens of thousands did you influence? And in my experience, it's the quality of the interactions as opposed to the quantity, because quality relationships involve time, effort, and kind of like you said, telling her, look, I, I have no dog in this fight. Just come and let's talk about Bible stories. You want to call yourself a Catholic? Praise God. I, I, I don't call myself a Catholic. Praise God that we get to the heart of the matter mm-hmm. as opposed to these mm-hmm. things that we can then you know, share and say, well, I led 6,000 people to Christ in my lifetime. I mean, I don't think God's impressed with numbers, so um, we shouldn't be. So how about you, Roger? What was the most satisfying experience or result you had? Oh, boy. The whole thing that the school is still going mm-hmm. and to see how those how the parents and the people that work in the school think about the faith for all of life. You know, I was thinking of one family that he did a lot of electrical and plumbing work for me and their marriage was on the rocks and so we had a come to Jesus meeting with them and that turned them around and they were, they just, uh, you know, they're just effusive in their affection for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've ever been felt so much affection from a group of people as, as that community that God built around us in Mexico. In, in fact, you know, when we went there, speaking of expectations, when I was a kid, I was kind of had semi adult ADD. So I didn't know I was going to be a cowboy and a banker and an army guy and all this other stuff so you mean like both boys they're going to be yeah. everything <laughs> eh, yeah probably it's just funny because i said that as a as a, a grown-up older man and in this young couple this one girl says you used to be what do you mean used to be <laughs> <laughs> still are so but anyway uh to follow that through what i had i said okay father i don't know what i'm going to do for a living but I, I want to grow when I die. I would like my epitaph to read, like David, he was a man after God's own heart. And if possible, I'd like to marry a pretty girl and have children. So uh, he answered the second and third. And then it's kind of like, okay, we're going to work. After you're retired, you finish seminary. Now we're going to work on that request that you end your life like that. And uh, we're going to, you're Galilee, you have to go to Galilee, and you're Galilee is Pueblo, Mexico. So we feel like the Mexicans, that God has used them uh, as much or more to fulfill what he had planned for our own growth and spiritual maturity. And even the reasons why we ended up following 
reading Rush Dooney and all those kinds of things related to our experiences there. They got us used that. So we're just kind of along for the ride to see what God does through us. And of course, we're busy and keep busy and work hard and all that sort of thing. And, and so there's this kind of a weird combination of paradox of how God does what he wants to do in spite of our mistakes and our bobbles and our insecurity and what we think we're going to do and then what actually happens. If you hold that with an open hand and you just hang in there and you go because you love Christ, you'll make it. You'll stay the course. I think that's the reason why we were Mm -hmm. able to complete an entire second career, you might say. I'll say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, As missionaries. Isn't it amazing how how efficient God is? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He works yeah, out all forward. the details. Often it looks like uh, uh, when you look at life in front of you, it looks like you're you're attacking up a hill at the corner of four map sheets in the dark in a rainstorm. When you look back, you've been on a super highway all this time. It has to do with our perspective. It's good to look back and see how God has been faithful to you and expect he's brought us this far. Why should we doubt that he'll bring us farther along and and do more with us that he wants to accomplish. But it's like some of the things that we've fallen into, people credit us with having these brilliant ideas. And I said, I always chuckle. No, we sort of accidented into it. We just kind of fell into it. It was something that people come to you and they're begging for help. And you say, well, I don't feel qualified for this, Lord. What? But what am I going to do? You just place these people right here in our hands. We have to do something. So you begin to look for people who can help you and, coach you along the way. Uh, we've been married many, many years uh, by God's grace. So people think you know something about marriage. So they come and ask you for counseling for marriage. And I say, oh, Marcy, we better look for some resources because, I mean, <laughs> God's been gracious to us, but I'm not sure I could know how to pass that, <laughs> that on. Right. So I don't know if that helps to understand. At least our experience hasn't been. And now there's other miss- missionaries that they knew exactly God was very clear with them and they knew exactly what they were going to do. And, and that's what they did. And, and that's, you know, we, we admire that and respect that as well, but he wired us differently and brought us along in a different way. And we always are sort of practical down to earth folks. It was interesting that in our farewell, Ricardo mentioned that the first things we taught them that I taught them was biblical economics and work. I said, right. yeah, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> yes, you did. Huh. Now, what's interesting to me is a while back while you were describing this, you were using military terms, military orientation, taking ground, going up that hill. Mm-hmm. And I think that God uses all that kind of stuff. But what I'm guessing my listeners would like to know a little bit more of, tell us a little bit more about the Learning Center. It's a school, but it's not what Mexico probably would have looked at as a traditional school. No, it's uh, you kind of got to operate under the radar because the sector of education, public education, has got people bamboozled and fearful that their children are not going to have a future. It's like it acts like a god, and it's very bad education, and it's a very humanist, statist education. So uh, when they started teaching little kids sexual perversion, that's when you get Christian families looking for alternatives. So. It's kind of a homeschool model. It's it's actually the uh, accelerated Christian education material we use and their methods, although we've developed many of our own uh, high schools. Our high school program is about half 
uh, ACE and half what we've developed on our own. I'm teaching economics in a different way, for example. And, uh, and so they have their little booths they study in. It's a self-directed, uh, self-paced learning. And it's very, very much uh, grounded in the scriptures. We constantly tell them the scripture is not something we're adding to a typical curriculum. It is the foundation of everything we know and understand. It's our starting point and our ending point. So that's how it's a little bit different. And we ended up with, we start out with some five junior high kids and people were just begging us and begging us. And then we're looking at each other saying, oh, brother, what are we getting ourselves into? We were <laughs> in the seminary. So I said, okay, let's open it. Uh, elementary. Elementary. So then we jumped to 40 some kids the next year. And then it and was, then, then uh, it was high school. And then it was. Uh, preschool next. Uh-huh. I think. I thought we added high school and preschool maybe about the same time, but the, all these people wanted their high. I'm losing my high school kid. I'm losing them. They're, 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 you know, I've got there's my daughter is being, to be a, wants to, there's a girl at school that wants to meet my daughter's husband. It's just this lesbian stuff going on and all that sort of thing. So please, please, please. So I don't feel qualified, but you feel like I don't have a choice and God's going before us. So let's do this. And then they say, hey roger please open a preschool please we need a preschool we need a preschool so then you open a preschool next thing you know we got 96 students oh my goodness yeah and uh and we had an online program we were working with we just started if you wait till you have a perfect curriculum on a perfect program you will never start so we yes. started with what we had we did that for a couple of years and decided this isn't working for us so we researched ace and and moved to that program it's been in mexico for over 40 years now. Yeah. Very strong. So when we first met, it was through mutual friends and it was actually an answer to a question. How do you help missionaries, you know, send them money and whatever. And this person said, no, you find who's already doing stuff and you help those people. So we had an opportunity to meet each other. And before long, because uh, Roger's really good at recruiting people, um, I was teaching an online class with some of your high school students. This was before everybody did Zoom calls. We were, I think we did it on Skype because Zoom yeah, we wasn't did. around. But I remember being so impressed with the level of discussion I was having with students who didn't have English as their first language. We went through a number, we went through all of the word and season books together. And we called it an English class. Huh. Yeah, it was an English class because they had to read in English. But we discussed things and their level of honesty. And they weren't just swallowing everything he said in his writing or what I said. They would ask really good questions. And I remember, I think we did that for like seven years or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, it was the high point of my week. And I actually found myself a bit discouraged with American kids that I was dealing with. Is like, why can't you be like the Mexican children who really care about this stuff? So it seemed to be, I'm sure it wasn't all of them in your school, but they knew or they seemed to appreciate the benefit they were getting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge for anybody to realize that somebody else is giving something to benefit them and that they will have to go and do likewise. Mm -hmm. So next question, Marcy, I asked you about what was most satisfying. What was most disappointing? Well, 
I would probably have to say, and that's on me, is the struggle with the language for me. Just uh, not getting to the point where I would have, my, the expectation that I had was going to be absolutely really fluent. Although I get by, I can talk and I can uh, read things. It just takes, it's a, a huge effort on my part to do that. And that's probably the most disappointing. There are two women there that I would have loved to have been able to communicate better with. You know, you do what you, you do what you can. You keep praying. So if looking back, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, I probably would have listened to Roger more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's on recording now, Roger. So anytime there's this dispute, you just have this segment and you play it for uh. her. How about you, Roger? What was most disappointing for you? Well, you know, I thought I'd be, we'd be buried there. So I think leaving, having to leave was probably uh, just a heartbreaker. But, uh, you know, that's just the way God works things out. And who knows, family situation, health situation, the reasons we came back may change and we may go back someday. Who knows? The Lord knows. And uh, we're just, Chuck, I just don't want to be taken. We just don't want to be taken out of the game. Uh, before before it's over you know we'd like to live to be 110 if the lord wills healthy and able to think yeah (laughs) still still able to contribute and think and i've got goals and plans and dreams to expand our reach with uh, the website to do more translation i've got a book in mind to translate to put my young man to work translating i think to be as god i think is the one i'm thinking of that oh wow Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that would be very helpful, and uh, so and and, and then uh, there's always the disappointment of the people that uh, bail on you, and the general tenor of the uh, evangelical church in Mexico. But I can accept that. I that was easier to accept, and maybe some disappointment with some uh, fellow missionaries that we used to work with, the ethical issues there, and it's uh, just this. I would say, you know, we call antinomianism affects the way we we actually do missions, the way we actually approach it. So it really took a radical change because I was not satisfied with what we're doing. I was the director of a seminary yeah, in Puebla for well, eight, eight years. I worked there as I was on the board, board of directors for a mm-hmm. few years. And then it was a crisis. And I thought, well, in three years, I'll be out of here and I'll pass it on to the next. There was probably one of the least pleasant uh, rewarding experiences but at the same time i got all over and met people and did things and all kinds of interesting adventures so that kept right. me but it, and and that's how we one of the reasons we started the school was that in in these kinds of countries where there isn't a real strong testimony witness of uh, the gospel you support seminaries and theological education by starting schools and having strip malls and that sort of thing. So I said, well, let's try something. Right. And that's how we actually started. And it turned into be one of the most effective things a seminary ever did in its 50 years of existence. So it's interesting. You both seem to have disappointments. Um, doesn't sound like those disappointments fall into the category of regret. They were just disappointments. But um, well, I have regrets. I'm just not going to tell you. Okay, good. I won't ask. But 
you learn a lot from when you think this is how you're, it's going to work and then it doesn't work that way or when God throws a monkey wrench. And, and I'm thinking, Marcy, because I happen to know this, that uh, you might actually have the missionary award for the most broken feet or legs because... <laughs> You had to go through these challenges. And uh, I can remember many a time uh, you with your leg up and and having to deal with these things. And I'm sure the question goes through your mind. I know it does for me when things I don't want to have happen, happen. Like, God, don't you know what I'm doing? Uh, This isn't a good time to have a broken leg. Words out of my mouth. What'd you learn through the experiences being not in a country that maybe not so much didn't have good medical care, but not what you would hope for, or maybe what you had been um, experiencing when you lived in the States or you were in the service. Did it give you a lot of time for reflection that you had to kind of evaluate what you were doing and why? It, it did at some at, at sometimes when you when you're immobile and you can't get up and get about and do what you want to do. But we've been treated. We were treated very well. I'd say the technology in Mexico is at the most three years behind any place else in the world, the United States. And uh, we had very good doctors. Puebla has very good hospitals and doctors. And so both my doctors in Mexico <laughs> broke my my knee and my shoulder came to the house to take care of me. Really. Really, mm-hmm. both of them did. And when I broke my knee last year, I, I can't complain about anything that was done here. I mean, it was just, it was kind of more like, uh, this is in the book. This is what we do. This is what I'm going to do as the doctor. And then you're going to go to therapy mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Whereas there, in a way, I felt more cared for. <laughs> uh, we think about when the modern missionary movement started, people missionaries packed up all their belongings in a casket figuring they were going to they weren't going to come yeah. back and uh so we thought well here we are living in a we just really don't have anything to complain about and my uh retired army insurance covered everything i had to pay for it in advance but i had a stent and a pacemaker installed everything doctors nurses hospital two days twenty thousand dollars i told that to my doctor in Dallas and he was stunned into silence for a minute it would have cost eighty thousand dollars at at Baylor it would have cost a hundred thousand easy yeah for all of that and it's still working still ticking and uh, I've had it checked recently and you know God's good he keeps us going I just don't want the battery to run out so it seems to me that it's possible that we have a very distorted view of life in other countries People might anticipate, I know I always have the culture shock of living in huts or having all these wild animals or whatever it is, but it's good to hear that from your perspective, you both were treated really well. And maybe if you had to choose between where you'd get care, um, what you got in Mexico was superior. Yeah. Well, it, it, the price, the price, it didn't have the, I don't have the latest pacemaker with wi-fi i have a doctor here that no you can't just turn on the reader and i gotta you gotta schedule a thing and tell me and i gotta send it to you because i don't have that in there and uh that sort of thing but yeah it's and i was really uh, the doctors that the lord led us to we were very pleased with and there but there were things there came to a point where 
you know, this last year I had this problem with cancer and that sort of thing. And I, and plus issues, other family issues, Marcy's mom and our daughter losing her husband, that sort of thing. So we felt like, and, and, and this, uh, really uncertain times with the and related to medical things going on in the world right now we felt like we might be able be better able to support and continue the mission by coming home mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what we did we're just kind of waiting and seeing how the lord works that out so far so good so do you either each of you separately and then together have you been working at mentoring the people or people who will carry on your work because we all know that our time does have an end point and that God mm-hmm. will take us. And I, I remember a number of years before Dr. Rush Juni passed away, we celebrated his 80th birthday and we had a big event. And the night before the main event, he had, we had a small gathering and he mentioned that he was very happy because he had his son and other people and he was ready to be, to go to his father's, right? That he wasn't going to be the end all of it, but he felt like his work was in good hands. Have you been mentoring people to take on the work that you've been doing? Oh yeah. Well, that's part of that was a habit from your military life. Cause you know, there's a joke in the army. If you don't like your boss or your job or both, wait six months, one or the other or both will change. So you're always thinking about, you know, you want to, I, I always had a goal that I would, that the people that worked for me in the army would leave better people than when they came and that there would be a structure there to keep going on. And who's going to take over this thing. You don't have that much control over it, but it's just a kind of a thing you're aware of. So when you start the learning center, you, immediately begin to think about who's going to carry this thing on. And you look around and you, and I I also am a believer that how people discover their spiritual gifts isn't by sitting around talking about it. It's by actually going to work. So you start out with the ministry of sanitation, cleaning the toilets. And later on, you find out you're really good with preschool kids. And this just kind of happens by working together. And it's sort of, so we draw the organizational chart after God brings us together and, and brings people with talents and gifts that want to do things that kind of fit that. And, and, and so, so you, you let the spirit guide that development. And, and so that's how you kind of, how this thing fits together. You look back and you see, yeah, well, God did what he was going to do anyway. So you might as well live that way from the beginning. You know what your mission is. You know what you want to accomplish. Right. Marcy, it sounds there. like from what you said during this conversation and previous ones that your role was very much of reaching out to women and helping them with issues with their children. Did you find that they were receptive to mentoring and that there are some ladies who will continue that work in your absence? Yes, very much so. I can think of two, especially right now, but yes, they, uh, the gals in the institutes class always surprised me how the applications that they were making and it was a lot of them going without even really studying some of the case laws on the on the the commandments. They would make those applications for their kids, relationships with their husbands, and even political issues that the the country was facing. They would make really good applications, and I I believe that 
more than me putting into their lives. It was God's word that was that they were listening to. That was a, a real blessing to see them make those applications. So it sounds like you're both saying if you're willing, God takes care of the rough edges and it's his spirit that basically penetrates people and you're the conduit as opposed to the cause. And in the process, he's he's working off the rough edges and maturing you. And so you grow up. For 22 years, it was that you you were in the service. And then it's been 20 years since you've been missionaries. Uh, Yeah, 21. 21. Okay. So I know that uh, you guys have clocked a lot of miles back and forth to be with family, to help with various things. Did you experience culture shock coming back to the U.S. at times and saying, wow, it's so different than when we left? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Marcy, you go first. What were some of the most uh, shocking things that you were like, wow, I wasn't prepared for this? Attitudes of the young kids and language, their foul mouths, hearing (laughs) it. Uh, Maybe it's because I didn't understand the words in Spanish so much, but here (laughs) you hear it all over the place, just, Mm -hmm. you know, and not even meaning to hear it. They're just talking around. That was kind of a shocker. Uh, The other thing, too, is in the Christian community, how big tattoos have become. And I'm not, I don't want to be pietistic or anything in this area. And something I have to just, you know, say, okay, Lord, it's not, not on me, mm-hmm. but I have to just live with this too. But that's, that was a huge in these, in the Christian community. That's what surprised me. That was a culture shock. For me. What about you, Roger? Oh, I guess uh, materialism and uh, mm-hmm. the mentality of many Christians that are it's antinomian and uh, statist without even realizing it. That sort of thing. Do you and see that a, as a progression from when you had left to when you'd go back and visit that it was more so? Is that what you're saying? I think so. I think so, too. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be partly, too, because of our change. When we first went to Mexico, we were still pretty much in the dispensational a, rapture gen- theology. And then as we changed, we probably became more aware of. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with, with it. it. So. We'll kind of be wrapping this up, but let me ask you this concerning your future work and the things that you still hope to accomplish. Are there things that you're interested in doing that maybe someone who's listening to this podcast might say, wow, that's kind of what I want to do. I tend to look at things in a network way, just the same way I got to know you through a networking arm. What are the sort of activities or endeavors that you're looking forward to that might inspire someone to say, hmm, I think I'll get in touch with those folks. I think the website to expand that and uh, looking for ideas about how to promote it. We have followers all the way down to Chile and in Spain, and but it's we really haven't developed it to write more material for that, translate more different articles and that sort of thing that I, that we think would be very, very helpful to get out there. And um, so, so that's, that's one thing. Maybe asking people to, to join would be something like you did, I'm sure would be more than welcome to be an English teacher by zoom to help, help kids uh, grow in their English in the, in the learning center. 
that sort of thing. Even right. bring kids together so they can chat with each other and be be kids by Zoom and interact. Kids learning Spanish at home. You want to have somebody to practice with that sort of thing that could be arranged as well. Although you know how life is, it gets busy and you got all these things you need to do, but it can be worked out if people want to. So those are probably a couple of things that come to my mind right off the top of my head. How would people find you? What's the best way for people to reach you? Probably by email, I guess. Probably. So what's your email address? R-O-G-E-R at my last name, Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R, M as in Mike, X as in X-ray, dot net. So I'd be Roger at OliverMX.net. And Marcy is Marcy at OliverMX.net. Very good. Very good. Because, you know, the U.S. has a lot of Spanish speakers, and many of them come from Mexico, although not all of them. And my experience is that the people that I have encountered here who've come from Mexico or Central or South America have a much greater appreciation in many cases for freedom and what the U.S. offers than most native born. And it's a huge mission field. So anything that people do to help your ministry is not just isolated to Mexico. It's an outreach to people who value God, the family, and hard work. And so I think that there's a great opportunity to realize that maybe some of the categories we've used in the past aren't the true categories that God wants us to use. Right. Back to your culture shock thing. I think one of the things is this sort of an intersensitivity that we're the spiritual big brothers to people in Latin America or wherever we go. We are not. (laughs) (laughs) There are people there who are more mature than we are, uh, have a greater, deeper grounding in the scripture who have solid thinking, you got to look for them and they may not be right in every, in every aspect, but they're things we can learn from them as well. So we come along to side, come alongside to serve together rather than what well, we're here to be the worthy Americans with all the answers. Right. Which is a common foible of this American attitude. If we share the Holy spirit, then God is going to use each of our talents for it. And we've got to realize that we serve the same master. And I think, of all things, COVID and where the lines have been drawn with it have really given me opportunity to change my categories. And Marcy, you mentioned, you know, the prevalence of tattoos. Well, the Bible speaks about tattoos, so we don't have to ask whether, you know, is there a gray area, but is it the most important area when you're talking to someone initially and to prioritize is the first and last thing you want people to remember about you is how you criticize them for what they're doing wrong, as opposed to their sensing that you really cared about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you both. So in answer to the questions, do missionaries ever really retire? I think we'd have to say, not if you have anything to do with it. (laughs) No, the retirement's not in the, Bible anyway. You may retire from service in front of the church, but you're going to keep on serving and doing those practical things that, that make life better for other people. And that's that's how you advance. The, that's one of the things you do to advance the kingdom. And uh, this just doesn't, everybody, every Christian, every Christian 
is a missionary, whether they really re- recognize it or not. Well, I can say as individuals and together as a couple, you guys rank as my heroes, not mm-hmm. because because I know Marcy will say, oh, please, I don't know as much as you or I still mm-hmm. am learning. But that's the mark of someone you want to emulate who doesn't go around saying there's nothing left to learn. And I think that's how I recognize the kindred spirits. My uh, That first time we met, uh, and I think we were outside a coffee shop or something, it was like afterwards I had known you guys forever. Yeah. Um, and I think that's yeah. the recognition of the spirit. So Probably that Panera bread. Uh-huh. Yes, it was. It was. I think in Stockton or someplace. Right. Something like right. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I got hooked on the Olivers. <laughs> <laughs> Igualmente. Yes. Sí. All right. Well, thank you both. And listeners, get a hold of these two if there's something that you heard that was inspiring. And of course, if you want to get to them through me, that's fine as well. Out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.